All right, good to see you all. You ready for the day? Okay, you guys are really ready. Oh, cool. Did we spike the coffee this morning or something? No, it's all good. It's a pleasure to worship with you all. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here. And I have the distinct privilege of just really pointing to the Word of God today. And I want to just encourage you to really just consider what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God applies to our lives. We've been on a series entitled Life Behind the Scenes. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there's more to life than what you see. There's more to life than what you see. You know when there isn't more to life? When all you can go by is what you see and what you feel and what you're told and what you've come to depend on. And the scriptures reveal otherwise. Don't take my word for it. We're going to look at the word today. But there's something that God is doing behind the scenes of our lives. And it takes understanding how God works in the unseen parts of life for us to see that come to pass in our lives. So a couple of the things that we learn, and I'm not going to really dig into this, I'm just going to briefly touch on them, is who you are is not what you see. You do know that moi is not what it's all about, right? You do know that, right? I know some of you, you look in the mirror and every morning you go, moi. Right? Nothing wrong with that. You should love yourself. Nothing wrong with that. But there's more to you than what you see in that mirror, right? You can't go by what you see in that mirror. Some of us, the years go by and we start going by what we see in that mirror and we feel bad. That is not who you are. Look at what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says. It says, may God himself, who? God. Okay, you got that. You caught up. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Watch this. And put you together, spirit soul, and body. Let me put it to you this way. You are the complete package. And the reason why it's important for us to understand how we are made up, what our makeup is, is because we often go based on emotion. We often go based on experience. We often judge life and perceive life according to what we see around us what the general consensus is. And the problem with that is that if all you're doing is going by what you see and feel, you're living life partially. The scriptures reveal to us that God made you and I spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You know what your soul is? Your soul is your mind, your will, and emotions. That's what the scriptures reveal. That's where your reasoning functions. That who you are is a spirit. And what you have is a soul, and where you reside is in this thing called a body. So you are more than what you see. We learned that we have a new identity. One of the scriptures that we looked at was uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where it talks about that all things have passed away, and then it goes on to say, behold, all things are become new. That word behold is important, because what it's telling us is pay attention to your new identity. As a child of God, not your old one. Not your old one. Not where you've been. Not where you've fallen short. Not what you've been told. Not how you've been judged. Not your mistakes. God says, behold the new. So we have a new identity. We also learn that we have a new set of eyes. Ephesians chapter 1 uh, reminds us that God's will is that our eyes be open to the life that we have in Christ. Verses 18 and 19 tell us that God's desire is that we would know the power of God towards us. 
that the eyes of our heart, our understanding where we believe that we would be enlightened to the inheritance, what we've received already from God, what God has done. And so we have spiritual eyes, a new set of eyes, but it takes those eyes to see. And those eyes are developed as we grow in an understanding of God's word. Amen? And then last week we learned that we have the wisdom of God. One of the scriptures that we looked at was 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and it basically tells us that God has united us with Christ. We've been made one with him. And it says that he made Christ, who now lives in our lives, to be wisdom itself. We're never lacking wisdom. The question is, are we becoming acquainted with the wisdom that God provides us? And so today, I'd like to talk to you about the key to partnership with God. Partnership with God. See, it's easy to say, I believe in God, but have you ever thought about the fact that the scriptures reveal that God wants you to walk in life in partnership with him? The scriptures tell us that we are joint heirs and co-laborers with God in Christ Jesus. So I want you to think about this. There's a work that God is doing. That God is saying, I don't want to do it, nor can I do it without you. There's a partnership, and one of the keys to this partnership is prayer. Let me tell you what kind of prayer I'm not talking about. It reminds me of a story I once read. It says, a man took his small son to town with him uh, one day to run some errands. And when lunchtime arrived, the two of them went to a familiar diner for a sandwich. And the father sat down uh, on one of the stools at the counter and lifted the boy up to the seat beside him. And they ordered lunch, and when the waiter brought the food, the father said, Son, we'll just have a silent prayer today. And dad got through praying first and waited for the boy to finish his prayer. But he just sat there with his head bowed down for an unusually long time. When he finally looked up, the father asked his son, What in the world were you praying about all that time? And with innocence and honesty, the child replies, Dad, how do I know? It was a silent prayer. (laughs) My point with that is simply this. That oftentimes we deduce prayer to something that seems spiritual. You ever notice that when we pray, we do this? We put our head down. We close our eyes. We get into this pious state, right? And really, that all comes from a lack of understanding. See, prayer is like a key. It holds significant value. Now, for some of you, you might go, oh, keys aren't that important. Yeah, you lose them and watch how you act. (laughs) You lose them and watch how, oh, by the way, all jokes aside, there's a set of keys that were found. They had a name on it that said Valerie. See how that tied in nicely into my sermon? Um, They were sitting right there on the counter, and they're at guest services. So if you lost your keys, stop by guest services before you leave. You can pick them up. But keys are important. Why? Because keys provide us access. They provide us access to places, to people, to things. And prayer is a lot like a key because it reminds us of the access that we have directly to God. It's a key to unleashing partnership with God behind the scenes of our life. Unfortunately, statistics prove that prayer is something that we do very little of. And I think that it has something to do with what we understand prayer to be. 
So I started thinking about this when I was preparing for this, this Sunday, and I was reflecting on what, what is it that people define prayer to be? And, of course, you know I had to Google it, right? Because Google will tell you everything, right? And so check out what I came up with. It says, prayer, lifting our hearts and minds to God. Sounds real spiritual, right? It says, sincere self-emptying before God. Another definition was, it's the action of the Holy Spirit and the soul leading him to the Father. Another one says, it's an earnest hope or wish expressed by way of request for help or an expression of thanks to God or an object of worship. And as I ponder those definitions, it kind of leaves me with one conclusion. Man, that's complicated. That sounds like it's, like, I got to get up here to this certain point. I got to reach where you are, Pastor. I got to go where you are because your, your, your prayers are powerful. And you pray eloquently. And you pray, you know, you, you quote the, the scriptures. And you know all these things. And so when you pray, obviously, your prayer is better than mine. That's not true. Matter of fact, let me give you another definition for prayer. Prayer is simply partnership with God for everything pertaining to life. Prayer is partnership with God. The question is, now this is challenging if we really think about it, because how do you partner with a God that you can't necessarily see? How do you partner with someone that you don't always feel? How do you partner with a God that sometimes you might doubt that he's present or that he's faithful? And so today we're going to take a closer look at this issue of prayer because prayer is partnership with God. I want to show you that in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now watch this. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Listen closely to this. And the Lord will raise him up. Verse 16 goes on to say, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. You might go, well, I'm not really righteous. Well, let me just say this to you, that righteousness has nothing to do with what you do to get it from God. Righteousness is based on what Jesus has done for you. And I've got good news for you. If you know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, that just simply means you believe that God loves you and that he made a sacrifice on your behalf for a payment that you can make. And by that payment, you're justified with God. You're made right with God. He loves you. If you believe that, here's the truth. You qualify. Because righteousness has nothing to do with the right things that you do. It has everything to do with the right thing that Jesus did on our behalf. Amen? And so listen closely, the scriptures reveal this, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, that it accomplishes much. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, here's the good news. There's a power-packed package that God has for you. It's called Jesus Christ, and by it, he wants to unleash power and results into your life. And so listen, your prayers are effective and they accomplish much. But I want to point your attention to something. If we could put verse uh, 15 up again. The reason why your prayers accomplish much 
is because it's the Lord who does the lifting. Notice what the scripture says. Uh, the prayer of faith will save the sick. That's simply talking about it will impact that person. It will touch that area. It will bring healing. And then what it goes on to say is this, and the Lord will raise him up. That's an important point because oftentimes what we do is we go and call our quote-unquote prayer warriors. Let me call my prayer warriors. Come on now. If I can get as many people praying, then obviously God's not going to be able to, uh, to, to ignore it. He's going to hear because the more people that we have praying, the louder it resounds in heaven. That's not true. That's not true at all. It's not true at all. The scripture says that the prayer of a righteous man, notice that singular, that's you, that it accomplishes much. I don't know that we've ever stopped to, that we, that we take enough time to really consider how powerful our prayers are. It's powerful. It's powerful. And so as I said, prayer is partnership with God. It's the key that opens the door to divine intervention from God that gives us wisdom, assistance, strength, provision, empowerment, insight, and solutions. Let me put it to you. Let me, let me up the ante on that. It releases it. It's the key. It's the key. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 says this. We do not have a high priest. That's talking about Jesus. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations. Stop. Do you know what that just said? It says that Jesus understands weakness. It says that Jesus can relate to temptation. And so watch this. We all have moments of weakness. We all have moments of temptation. We all have moments where we want to just give up. I don't care how much you love God. Every one of us will get there at some point. The problem is, do we stay there? And so watch what it says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. There is nothing that you can go through that Jesus can't relate to. You don't understand. You don't understand the, 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 the problems that I'm going through. What, you think Jesus wasn't shamed? You think he wasn't rejected? You think he wasn't betrayed? You think that he doesn't know what it is to be made a spectacle of? Listen, don't buy the TV movies that they're running right now of Jesus on a cross with this cute little towel on him. If you study crucifixion, what you'll find is that when you were crucified, it was butt naked. Don't let that move you that the pastor said but, all right? <laughs> Don't let that bother you. But I want you to consider something. That in every regard, the scripture says, in every respect, it says, he understands. He understands. Verse 16 says, therefore, in light of that, because of that, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace. That is the throne of God's gracious favor. With confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. 
And so we see a couple of things about prayer here, why we should pray. Number one, we should pray because prayer opens the door for you to be heard and understood. Say what I mean by that. How many of you know that when you communicate, you don't want somebody that's just going to hear what you have to say? You want to be understood. I see a bunch of ladies going like this and going like this, right? Okay, let's address that, right? No, seriously. You want to be heard, but you also want to be understood. But I got a newsflash, fellas. You love me, right? So I'm about to bust every woman's bubble here. We will never understand you completely. We will not understand you completely. We won't. We can't relate. Not to everything, but watch this. Watch this. Jesus can. God can. God can. God can. No matter what it is, he can relate. He can relate. And so, see, Jesus went through everything that you're enduring. As I said, he understands rejection. He understands shame. He understands ridicule, deceit, physical pain, need, temptation. He lived like us and can relate to us. Why? See, he not only hears us, but he came in in the form of a man for one purpose, so that he could credibly meet our needs. Think of it this way. If you have a fire... I bet you you're not calling a cook to come put it out. The chances are the cook is probably the one who started the fire. Something goes wrong with your car, right? You're not calling a plumber, right? You're not calling a butcher. You're not calling a doctor. You're getting a mechanic. My point is simply this. Why not go to Jesus who can fix it all? Why not turn to him in prayer? Why not begin to confide to God? Here's what else we see according to Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, is that prayer opens the door to God's mercy for our failures. Let me clarify that. Listen closely. There's a belief amongst some people that you go to God and you pray so that you can receive mercy. You know what prayer really is? It's a reminder that God is awaiting us with merciful open arms. That's what it is. Listen closely. When it comes to prayer, prayer reminds us that we have a faithful God who is merciful. We can can turn to God because we are not failures in his eyes. I'm going to say that again. You are not a failure in his eyes. Now, you want to see how this works? You ever drop the ball? And find yourself at that point where you want to go to God, but you don't. Because somehow you believe, I've messed up too bad. I can't go to God on this one. Can I tell you that that's a lie? The scriptures reveal to us, we just read it, that we can come with confidence, boldly to God. And here's what it tells us, that what we find when we get there is this, mercy, grace. It's already done. Listen, if you somehow struggle, if we somehow get to a place where we're struggling with believing that God loves us, that God doesn't love us enough that we can find mercy, then here's what we're really believing, that what Jesus did wasn't good enough. And that's not true. That's not true. The fact that he rose again and overcame death is the very proof 
that what you and I have is mercy and grace from God. That God loves you enough that he died the death to pay the penalty that was ours to pay. He paid it for us. And so watch this. You mess up and you go, oh, God, this one's a big one. And he goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed sin from you is what the scripture says. That's what the scripture, I didn't say that, God says that. So you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And so listen, prayer opens the door to God's mercy for our failures, and prayer opens the door to God's favor in our time of need. I'm not going to dig into this story, but it reminds me of this guy named Daniel who found himself in a time of need. You see, he was looking at the people of Israel, and he was observing that, the, that what they were experiencing was completely inconsistent with what God had promised. And so he was struggling with this, and he's talking to God about it. And the Bible says, teaches us something about what happened when Daniel went to God in his time of need. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. It says, as I was praying, Gabriel, an angel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Listen closely. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. Watch why. And now I'm here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. I'm going to say that again. You are very precious to God. I'm going to say it one more time. You are very precious to God. Listen closely. The scripture says that you can cast your cares upon him. But watch why. Because he cares first. And so we can go to God, but watch what happens when you pray. The moment you pray, the answer is given. Wait, so how come I'm not seeing those results? Because I just heard that question somewhere. How come my prayers aren't working the way the scriptures say? I'm so glad you asked. And listen, there's no judgment or condemnation in this. Don't beat yourself up. If you're struggling in this area, learn something from God's word today about prayer. See, the truth is that we are not unlike Daniel because we have all found ourselves seeking direction from God in a time of need. And what the scripture tells us is that when we pray, that God meets us in our time of need. But watch why. Because you're precious to God. You know, I can hear a bunch of voices in this room right now. But if I hear my daughter's voice, I'll hear her above everyone. You know why? Because she's precious to me. She's precious to me. You know, it's the beauty of the body of Christ, that God loves all humanity. But man, he knows each one of us individually. He knows your voice. He knows your need. He loves you because you're precious to him. And so Daniel didn't just seek God in a time of need, though. You got to get this. Because for some of us, what we're accustomed to is praying in a moment of need. Let me give you an example. You're driving. Car cuts you off. Oh, Jesus. That's prayer. That's prayer. Right? You get an unexpected bill and you go, oh, Father, I need your help on this one. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But the truth is that if we're not careful, we'll pray concerning our needs instead of praying 
because we have a relationship with God. That's dangerous. You don't believe me? For those of you that have been in a relationship at some point or you're in a relationship now, how does that work when somebody just wants, wants, wants and is not interested in relationship? It doesn't work. Listen, it doesn't work that way with God either. And so look, for the next couple of moments that we have, I want to just quickly allude to an encounter that Jesus had with a man and then I want to give you some things as we close out on prayer. In spite of all that we've just learned, prayer is something that we can all struggle with because... As I said, man, you're talking to a God you can't see. You don't believe what I'm saying there? You go to the supermarket and you try this. Man, God, it's one of those days. And you watch how people look at you along the way. Somebody, uh, uh, we got a code red in aisle five. Get the police here and get, some, get a mental team while you're at it. It doesn't make sense naturally. It doesn't fit in this rational mind to talk to a God that we can't see. And so thus, it's very possible that we struggle with reaching out and talking to God, a God that we can't see and oftentimes you can't audibly hear. But today, we're going to look at an encounter that Jesus had with a man who came to him with a request. Now, granted, It might not seem at face value that this has anything to do with prayer, but it does. And you're going to see why. This guy had a need. It was an impossible situation. He turns to Jesus, right? In the process of that, he had gone to other people, consulted other people, and he got no results. So he was understood by all these. He was misunderstood by all these people around him. They didn't understand the situation. They couldn't do anything about it. And he finds himself turning to Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 14 through 29 real quick. Starting at verse 14, it starts off by saying that when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe. In other words, Jesus is here. And they ran to greet him. And what is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples, to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, I just want to insert something here. That sounds like a really harsh response. Don't allow that to deter your view of what Jesus is about to do. I'm actually going to touch on that in a second. And so, verse 20 says, So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked uh, the boy's father. And he replied, Since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us, if you can. Watch Jesus' response. What do you mean, if I can? 
Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through, through, through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. And afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the, that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out but by prayer. And so I want you to see something. There's a lot happening here. This man suffered for years witnessing his son going through this turmoil. His son going through the, the, these seizures and this, this demonic activity in his life that was destroying him. And, and this father felt helpless. And then he gets wind that Jesus is around. Now what you might not know is if you read this in chronological order, not by chapter by chapter, but if you really study the Bible out, what you'll see is that a couple of uh, some time before that, Jesus had got to a point with his disciples where he said, guys, I'm going to send you out two by two, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to do what I do. You're going to go heal the sick. You're going to go raise the dead. You're going to go preach this gospel. And so he sends them out, and the Bible says that when they come back, they come back rejoicing, and they report to him, man, you should have seen even the demons. They responded to our voice, and they left, and so they're rejoicing. And so what happens here is that this man comes with what seems an impossible situation. And he's looking for Jesus, and he doesn't find him. And so watch what happens. He looks to the disciples, and he says, well, you can do it. You can do it. I'll tell you why that's an important point to consider. Because what we see is that when Jesus shows up, everybody goes, oh, Jesus is here. See, nothing's happened. And so there's this argument between the religious leaders and the disciples, and what they're probably arguing about is, see, I told you it wasn't going to work. And they said, no, but it worked last time. We can do this. And meanwhile, this man sees Jesus, and he runs to Jesus, and he says, look, I came here looking for you. Here's the problem. I came looking for you, but when I didn't find you, I put my trust in men. And so when Jesus responds... He's not being uh, mean. He's addressing what the real issue is. He's saying, you faithless generation. What he's addressing is, listen, you're coming here with faith for the situation, but not faith in me. What you're wanting is a solution in the moment. You just don't want Jesus with it. And so Jesus was addressing the issue of faith in this man's heart. He came seeking Jesus, but he was about to leave trusting in men. He was putting confidence in them. And so the situation had weighed so heavily upon this man's mind and belief that when they bring his son to Jesus, he's conflicted. Listen. He says, Jesus says to him, don't worry about it, I got this. 
And he goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what we see here is that there's this, this dissonance, there's this, there's this breakdown, there's this chasm that exists there where the, he, can't, he, he believes in Jesus. It's the reason why he came seeking him, but he feels like I can't get there because of this one area in my life, in my belief system. He says to Jesus in verse 22, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And as we saw, Jesus responds, (laughs) he addresses the question by responding directly to the source of this man's doubt. He says, what do you mean if I can? You know, if if, if, if we're not careful, we'll pray as if God can. We'll approach God as if he can't. And you know what the proof of that is? We're begging God. We're believing that if we just pray more and do more and behave more and appear to be more Christ-like, if we just act the right way and say the right things and, and surround ourselves with the right people, that somehow it's going to move God's hand. That's not faith. It's not faith. Faith has nothing to do with that. There's no faith at work there. Listen, faith is a confidence in God based upon what he did in Jesus. Well, that went over a lot better than I thought. <laughs> you know what we learned from Jesus' response to this man? We learned through this man's approach something that's also true in prayer, that prayer plus unbelief equals impossible. Prayer without belief in Christ equals impossible. That math just doesn't add up. On the other hand, what we see is that prayer plus belief equals anything is possible. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Wait, you mean that this, this situation that I'm enduring in my body, that it can, it can be overcome? Absolutely. Anything is possible if you believe in him. Wait, you mean that I can have peace in my home, that my marriage can be restored? Absolutely, anything is possible if he believes in him. You understand what I'm saying here? And so that's the right equation. But what we see is that this man believes that Jesus can do the impossible, but he finds himself wrestling with some level of unbelief. There's a struggle there. You know, in some Christian circles today, in some circles of faith today. You know what? You know, for the person, if you're struggling with your belief, you'd be looked at like you're a leper. Oh, oh, you're just not in faith. You're not believing the word of God. You're not confessing what the word says. You better watch what you say. Let me show you otherwise. Watch what happens. This man says, I believe, but Help me in this area of my unbelief. And watch what happens. He admits to Jesus his unbelief. But he asks for help. And watch Jesus' response. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't say, oh, you don't got enough faith. I'll leave you here. No. Instead, what does Jesus do? 
He meets him in the place of unbelief and he says, bring me the boy and let's deal with this. Listen, we can turn to God about anything, even unbelief. Even your unbelief. Even that thing that we struggle with, Jesus didn't leave him because of his unbelief. He didn't overlook his request. He didn't say there's not enough faith at work there for me to do something. That's not the gospel. That's not the truth. There's nothing that we can do to make God move on our behalf. The only thing we can do is align ourselves with what God has already done. And that's simply believing in him. And so you see, when you struggle with unbelief, run to God. Don't run from him. Run to God. So think about this. The scriptures reveal that Jesus not only heals this man's son. Watch this. Jesus prays for him. The kid is on the floor, and everybody's whispering amongst them and going, it didn't work. He's dead. And watch what Jesus does. The Bible says that he grabs the boy by the hand and he helps him get up. Let me tell you why that's an important point. Because sometimes we pray and it feels like it's a dead situation. We feel like it didn't work. Let me remind you that the scripture says that your prayers accomplish much. Let me remind you that the moment you pray, the, the, the solution is released. The wisdom is available. The power is there. You're not dimming the lights in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Your situation is not that big for God. It's not. But you see, what this shows us is that prayer is partnership with God in the moment of need but also for the journey ahead. See, Jesus wasn't just interested in the deliverance of this circumstance in this boy's life. He said, let me help you get back up so we can get on this road together. And that's how prayer works. It's partnership with God. And so as we close out here today, I want to give you just some little things to consider about prayer as we're ending out here. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says a lot about prayer. It says, don't worry about anything. Go ahead and tell somebody, don't worry about anything. Tell somebody else, don't worry about anything. Now, say this with me. I'm not worrying about anything. Man, I'm so glad you said that because you qualify for what this, about, what this is about to reveal to us. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. But watch this. And thank him for all he has done. We're going to learn something in a second about that. Watch this. Watch the math. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts. That's talking about the place of belief and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know one thing that we see here about prayer? Prayer expels worry. It addresses worry. It's the antidote to worry, to anxiety. It's approaching God. Let me show you how. Psalm 32 verses 1 through 3 says this. This is David speaking. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, you might go, well, he's talking about sin. You've got to understand something. David made a lot of mistakes. And if there's anyone at face value that shouldn't have been going to God because he messed up one too many times, it was David. Now, watch what David teaches us about prayer. Verse 3, he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away with my groaning all day long. You know what we're seeing here? Here's what we're seeing. We'll learn something about prayer here. Jesus once said this. The disciples come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, teach us to pray like you do because you get great results. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth are these. He says, and when you pray, say. Listen to what he's talking about. David says, man, I thank God for his forgiveness. And I count myself blessed because I know that God has addressed every area in my life. The sin that that keeps me stuck, that threatens to keep me going to the past. But watch what was the key in David's life to overcome that. He says, it was when I kept silent that there was inner turmoil in my life. You know what we learned? I know for some of us, we're very spiritual and we pray because it's between me and God, and so I just whisper to God. You know, my, my wife has this hat in the house. It says, I speak to God in public. I love that hat. It's a real cool hat. My point with that is simply this. You know, sometimes we, we, we for whatever reasons, no judgment, but for whatever reasons, we just pray in silence, and really, if you, you try that long enough, what you'll find is this, you'll start thinking about the kids. You start thinking about your day. You start thinking about everything on your schedule. You start thinking about your problems. You start thinking about the challenges. You start thinking about the past. But, you know, there's something about when you talk that directs your thoughts. And I would encourage each and every one of us. You ever see me on my motorcycle? You know what I like riding my motorcycle? Some guys here have been on a ride with me. I don't know if you ever noticed. I don't know if you ever noticed this. But you'll find me on my motorcycle when I'm riding, pipes loud and everything, that I am shouting at the top of my lungs. And sometimes I'm just singing along with a song that I'm listening to. But oftentimes what I'm doing is thanking God and praying. And you know what? People drive by me. These truckers, they drive by and they go. And I'm like. Right? Because you know what? Prayer is between you and God. Direct your thoughts with your words. You know why? It'll release you from the burden that you weigh yourself down with. Talk to God about it. Talk to God about it. We also learn from Philippians chapter 4 that prayer is effective when you know what God has already done. Notice verse 6, it says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. You know, when we pray, the very first thing that we should endeavor to do always is know what God's word says about your situation. Because when you pray, you already know what God has done about it. And you know how you leave that conversation with God? Not pleading God, not begging God to do something, but thanking him because his word reveals that it's already done, baby. 
God, you've already done it. I can be thankful in spite of what I see because, Lord, I already know that by your stripes I am the healed of the Lord. I can rejoice and face life because I know that with Christ I can do all things because he strengthens me. I can trust because, Lord, I know that family is your plan. And so, Lord, I know that you're working it out with my kids. You're working it out in my marriage. You're working it out in my home. You're working it out in my job. Don't forget that we serve the God that the scriptures reveal in Romans 8, that he works all things out for the good to those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Don't miss this. He's working it out. He's working it out. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 17, uh, second half of 17 and 18 says this, and take the sword of the spirit. Wow. What sword? Which is the word of God. And watch what it says what to do with the word of God. It says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. You want to see circumstances change, you pray with an understanding of God's word. Because when you pray with an understanding of God's word, it chops those things up that seem like big problems in our lives. It makes a way where we saw none. So don't pray so God can get it done. Pray because of what he's already done. Pray because of what he's already done. And lastly, prayer is power as we await results. You know, it's one thing you see about Daniel if you study his life. So Daniel was really struggling with what he's seeing. He's saying, God, this doesn't match up and we're in bondage and why, 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 why is this going on and when are you going to deliver us? And God sends an angel who gives him clarity. But if you study Daniel's life, what you'll find is that Daniel wasn't just praying in the moment. Daniel was seeking God all the time. Daniel's life revolved around God. And so what I want you to consider is that prayer is power as we await the results. It's for a lifetime, ladies and gentlemen. You can talk to God about anything. Anything. In public places. All the time. Let's stand here today. Heavenly Father, we come to you this great and precious morning. Knowing this, that just like Daniel, we're precious to you. Lord, while we're all unique and different, you love each and every one of us because you know every one of us by name. And so, Lord, today, we come to you in an attitude with a heart full of faith to talk to you. We need your wisdom. We need your direction. You're struggling with something, going through something, start talking to God about it. Wrestling with unbelief, talk to God about it. Lacking something, talk to God about it. Unsure about the future, talk to God about it unclear about what's happening around you right now. It just doesn't make sense. Talk to God about it. 
He cares. He cares for you. He's interested in your life. You know, as a father, nothing brings me greater joy than when I hear my children say, Dad. Can I encourage you today, as we're closing out, that God rejoices at the sound of your voice. You're precious to him. And so, Father, today we ask you, we come to you, thanking you, because through Jesus you've done it all. You've addressed the issue of sin. You've caused freedom to be available to each and every one of us. You've healed our sicknesses and diseases. You've addressed the brokenness of our hearts, Lord, and you've made us whole. There's nothing separating us from you. And so today we come confidently before your throne. And Lord, here's what we know based upon your word, that you're a merciful God. And Lord, that you favor us with your grace. Today, Lord, as we leave here, we say thank you because you've given us the key to partnership with you. We can talk to you about it. Hey, if there's anyone here and you've never really thought about a relationship with God in the manner in which we're talking about today, you've never really believed that you have access to God. Maybe you've never talked to God, but today you find yourself saying, man, I'm... I need to do that in my life. I want that. Well, let me encourage you to join us in a simple prayer. An act of faith. You don't have to do anything to get anything from God. It's just simply, God, I believe that you love me. And that you proved that through Jesus Christ. That you paid the price for my sin and you rose again to prove that I also overcome sin. Hey, if you believe that today, I want to encourage you to join us in prayer. Let's pray this together with heartfelt faith. Say this with us. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. And I believe that you love me. Today I declare that you're my Lord and Savior. That you're my God. And from this day forward, I'm trusting in you. I'm believing in you. I'm following after you. And I know that from this day forward, my life will never be the same. Come on, if you prayed that for the very first time, we thank God for what he's doing in your life. Don't leave here without telling us about your decision. We want to walk alongside you on this journey of faith. Now, Father, we celebrate Jesus. We thank you for your great love for us. And, Lord, we come to you in prayer thanking you for the week ahead of us. We bless you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Bring your five.